Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of Action 22. This is our veteran appreciation episode. We are, I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we're sitting here with our good friend, Paul Hendrickson. And we're going to talk a little bit about Veterans Day, what that means. And we're going to get some great stories because, of course, I'm sitting here with maybe two of my favorite veterans in the whole world. Maybe. And all the, well, I was I was trying to think if there's anybody else, but I don't know that there is. Jeff Chosner. <laughs> Jeff Chosner, yes. Yeah. If I don't say Jeff Chosner, <laughs> I'm in big trouble. So I've actually known Jeff longer than I've known the two of you. Um, so yes, he's, he's right up there. So that's the top three. Well, and, and first, before we get into the veteran stuff, um, I think we should note that redistricting, even though we don't talk about that anymore, they are making the decision with the Supreme Colorado Supreme court on Monday for the legislative maps. So Monday, that's either going to be approved or they're going to fight over it some more. I think it's going to be approved, but <laughs> I think it'll be approved. Yeah. I think it'll be fine. Well, and the, we're so glad for that to be over with, honestly, um, of all the really incredible hard work and doing something for the first time is always going to be really messy. And we saw that, but I think overall the system or, you know, with this, the thing worked this time. I mean, it worked. There was a lot of input. Not everybody's going to be happy. And on, honestly on redistricting, that's what we want to see that nobody's completely happy on it. Yep. Both sides of the political aisle are kind of peeved how it came out, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a it bad made thing. Republicans mad, Democrats mad and unaffiliated mad. Yeah. So that's exactly what needs to happen with that. But they stuck by the process and I think they accomplished what they set out to do in a fair nonpartisan manner. Yes. Or bipartisan, tripartisan. Cause you got three parties that did it, but, right. but they, they followed the, the rule and the law to a T. So, and we're going to give another big um, thank you out to everybody who sat on both the commissions. The amount of work that went into that is just staggering. I don't know, just having been to a couple of the meetings, I don't know how they did it. Um, and I know there was a lot of work that wasn't in public meetings and they did a lot of research. So thanks to all of those Colorado citizens who sat, were brave enough to sit on the commission and for them doing their due diligence and working really hard. We really appreciate you. Yeah. So we're pre-recording this because um, you'll be hearing this on Veterans Day and we have just a million things going on. One thing about Pueblo and all of Southern Colorado, um, I, I sit on the UVC committee. I am the vice president. We broke it up. So the UVC is the United Veterans Coalition of Colorado it was started um, by a governor here. And what it is, it's all the veteran service organizations get together and they have this group that represents them all in Colorado. Now, in the past, um, they've been very Denver-centric and out to the rural areas, even El Paso County, Pueblo, West Slope, you know, they didn't see much from the UVC. The UVC always met in Denver. It was a lot of Denver people. So with this, the, the new gentleman that took over, um, he's a retired admiral, Dick Young, and the vice president is Bob McLaughlin, who spoke at our annual meeting and is the CEO of Mount Carmel. Um, Bob and Dick, they decided to expand the UVC 
to get the UVC into these areas that they may have been neglecting over the years. So with that, they have, I think, six or seven regional vice presidents, and I'm the vice president for Pueblo, um, the Pueblo region, Southern Colorado. I think we're going to add one in the San Luis Valley, um, but that's still going to be a month or two away before we find somebody that wants to take that role on. But in the, the monthly meeting today, the regular meeting, everybody was talking about Veterans Day. And, you know, in Pueblo, it's Saturday to Saturday. And Paul knows this because Paul's our guest that you'll meet in a second. He's helped with this for almost 10 years now. Um, Pueblo does it right. Again, it's a solid week from parades to events. I'm speaking at one with CDOT later today. Um, job fairs, veterans fairs, homeless stand downs, food drives, all this stuff is going on. And unfortunately, the Denver regional vice president and some of the Denver people, they didn't do anything this year. No parade. Um, I think that Saturday, last Saturday, they had a dedication, but it was more of a private event. They're not doing anything. No parade. I don't think we had a parade last year either due to COVID. Well, COVID, yeah. But even then, like they were saying, it's been a challenge over the years that there's kind of been this push to to not do a veterans parade. And it's like, well, that sucks. But No, that's such a big deal. It's important um, that they do that. It signals the devotion that a community has to the veteran community that it houses. Yeah. And, and on the meeting is like, well, I'm slammed with veterans stuff all week. <laughs> that, that's really good. But, um, but you are every year. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, with that. So just a little background, I was working for Congressman Tipton and we did a veterans event at CSU Pueblo. And I think it was the statue, right? Was it the, it was cleaning up the statue, the cleaning of the statue. And we, we brought, we brought Congressman Tipton there. Um, we meet Paul who was running the student veterans, student veterans of America, SVA. Yep. So I met him and then we kind of became involved to the point where his office was next to mine and <laughs> we're going to all the same meetings and doing the veteran stuff. And, and Paul really, he really kind of like brought that, that youthfulness, I, I would say, because you're old. Yes, I am old. I, I'm very old, but not as old as the normal crowd that right. did all this stuff. So, no. you know, and you started to see it going to the, the military affairs meeting that all these guys that kept these parades going in these groups and, you know, the, the organizations that unfortunately they're dying off now. Literally, um, yes. they, They're in their 80s. Like when I go to these meetings, I'm the youngest guy by like 40 years now. And it's sad. So that it was good. And, th- and there seemed to be a younger presence involved with it, which they're really trying to get the, these younger vets that are coming in. But with that, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself? Say a little bit, bit about your history, what you've done, what you're doing and sure. all that fun stuff. So I, uh, I joined the military right after 9-11. Well, not right after, but right after I graduated high school um, in 2005, I enlisted in the Army Infantry and um, fought literally for my country. I was one of those uh, got goosebumps when the Pledge of Allegiance National Anthem was going and um, <laughs> truly enjoyed everything about my country. And I had this idealistic mentality that I truly was serving for the people. So when people would thank me for my service when I was in, I would say, I did it for you. And I truly meant that. And I, I took the oath and the Constitution of the United States in the defense of that, both domestic and, and international. It was something I took to heart. Um, so I was the idealist, like in Black Hawk Down, Sergeant Eversman, who was, you know, he was the the idealist where he wasn't there to 
hurt anybody overseas. It was to bring stability and, and I guess, quote, freedom to other people who are oppressed, so depressedly libre. So I uh, did my almost eight years, got out, and because I gazelled to the ranks so quickly, I had a, I was, a, I went from straight up being a private to making my sergeant and straight to squad leader and then platoon sergeant really fast. And I wanted to lead troops and that's why I didn't commission or go to college to one, because I was also young and dumb and thought going to war was good, the thing I had to do. Uh, I could have waited. I should have gone to college first. So take note of that. Um, but when I got out, I wanted to take care of soldiers still. I lost that purpose and that drive. I hit the, hit the spiral of depression. And um, I have a good friend, uh, Brian Whitaker, who uh, kind of came to my rescue along with Brian McCain here. Um, I, I, that depression really kicked my butt. So I had a hard time with it, uh, fell into alcoholism and stuff like that. And if it weren't for the two Brians, really, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, you know, I've been five years sober now, and now I'm a part of Wounded Warrior Project. And we have a saying that's, you know, embrace the branding. And that brand is a soldier carrying another soldier. And in this case, the, both the Bryans were the ones that carried me, and now I'm the one carrying others. So we actually have a Veterans Day event on Friday I'm going to be doing. Um, I'm doing a lot of outreach with them. And I also am trying to fix the issues that Brian alluded to earlier where we had this age gap. And when McCain and I met, I was at a Veterans Affair meeting, and I had somebody from one of the local nonprofits Tell me it wasn't my time yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, don't tell me I can't do something. So <laughs> I, I took that above and beyond and uh, started up a chapter of the American Legion to kind of stick it to them up at CSU Pueblo. Uh, that was post 2200. Uh, and we got a huge membership base and then we, we folded it to turn it back over to the American Legion post two here. Um, but we made it a point that the youth does have the numbers to help establish a more prominent veterans effort and outreach and that we just wanted cooperation and it's since gotten better. Um, which I've noticed with part of what you've been dealing Mm -hmm. with, uh, they're allowing us to come in more and give us more autonomy to help spread the word. And I'd say the biggest difference, man, is that our generation would rather go out and hike and collaborate and interact with other vets in a way that's uh, rehabilitating rather than sit around and talk about war stories all the time. It's, it's about becoming an American through and through life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. Yeah. So, so going back a little bit, um, what did you do on the army? You skipped that part, yeah. but I know you don't like to talk about <laughs> yeah. it, but it, I, I think you should just, okay. just tell us what you did. Yeah. So um, when I said I wanted to fight for my country, I meant it. Um, I joined the United States Army Infantry, and I was airborne, and I went to ranger school. And one of my first deployments to Iraq, I was a scout sniper for 2-7 Cav. And uh, then I was a heavy weapons squad leader and platoon sergeant with uh, 4th ID out of Fort Carson. When did you uh, first deploy? What year was that? 2006. Okay. So you're a young one. Yeah, it was during the troop the, the young, Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, that was a— Went to a meeting at Mount Carmel, and we were going around the table, and some of these guys look old, and just you could tell they've lived that life for a while. And, um, you know, it was like, oh, I deployed in 2012, and, and it's like, <laughs> holy cow. And then they, then they have, like, the the special operations dudes, and, and, and you know, they're, like, they're young, and they're in suits and look all fancy and gold chains and stuff. 
And then they, they get to me and I'm like kind of sitting on the outskirts. This was at Mount Carmel and it was a, a meeting on the pulling out of Afghanistan and it was what yeah. they can do to help. And we actually conferenced in with the white house on it. Um, Senator Bennett was there for that one, but you know, all these guys and the older ones are like, wow, you deployed way back in 2010. And they get to me and I'm like, I deployed in 2001. <laughs> and it was so funny. Cause like the, the three special ops dudes, there just kind of looked at me. They turned around and gave me this look and one dude gives me a thumbs up <laughs> like, and, and all they did afterwards, they're like, Hey man, what was that like? I was like, Oh, it was the wild west. Like yeah. <laughs> plain and simple. He's like, awesome dude. Like, yeah. But, but you're, you're kind of in that younger, the early generation of, um, this deployment, the war on terror. Uh, I never went to Iraq, but I got out right before that happened. And it's like night and day from the people you talk to now that in the past 10 years versus 20 years ago, it's for example, well, um, you know, when, when I deployed, I ran around in like a hoodie with Converse on and nothing else. Like we, we took what we needed, regardless of what it looked like, where we got it, you know, everybody like bought their own stuff and took it. And then you slowly saw it over the next two years, getting to that like regular military, like, um, how can I describe like that military bearing, like, you know, everybody was shaved haircuts and then. Then it went to the, the, it looked more military. When I was there, it was like the wild west. You know, it was like, you're just on the ground and you got what you got. Nobody cares about anything. Um, but then interestingly enough, um, I had lunch with general Mattis. Uh, it's been a few years now before he worked for the Trump administration. And then I saw him after, right after he got fired from the Trump administration, which was an interesting conversation, but he, he was talking about how, when he got there, you know, it was to Marine Corps when he, he took over with the, the troops. He said it was two by the books Marine Corps. And then he was the, the actual one that said, no, you know, grow your beards out. Like you don't all have to wear the same hat for, for yeah. layman's terms, you know, like practicality. Yeah. yeah, it was more practicality. And I, I really appreciated that. And, and he really, he, when he was talking about this says, yeah, we have, we are a machine. We do it a certain way. And, it's hard for that machine to adapt sometimes. And when he came in, he tried to make that machine adapt a little more, um, e even like the hearts and minds part of it and, you know, going out, talking to the kids. Uh, what, what was the quote he said? He's like, I know how to end terrorism. It's like take every Afghan school, chid, or school kid and bring him to America and put him through high school mm. and then send him back and it would be over. It'd solve all of our problems. So he had a different way of thinking it, about it. But um, yeah, going forward, um, the age gap here is interesting and I'm seeing it everywhere up in Denver. You still have the younger guys that are getting involved because, because it's Denver, right? You know, if you're young, you're 30, just got out of the military, you want to work in Denver, you know, that you got that, but rural Colorado, like the Valley, um, Pueblo, um, Walsenburg, it is this age gap. And Paul's right that it's a different, a different way. So, you're a Vietnam vet. What do you want to do? You want to go to the Legion and drink beers with your buddies for a dollar a beer, right? Right. This new generation, alcoholism is a, a huge problem, as and you can attest abuse. to, and, and yeah. substance. Yeah. And it's hard for these veterans younger than me or my age, you know, they can't go into a bar and sit there and drink and tell war stories. Right. So they do go outdoors. They go fishing, um, more recreation-style stuff. 
And it was hard for these older guys to kind of realize that, I think. Like, they got offended by it. Would you yeah, agree? Yeah. So, actually, on that, um, when I was in Afghanistan, I served um, underneath uh, Captain Jeremiah Ellis, who actually reached out to me not too long ago. It was really refreshing to talk to him again. Um, but we had a lot of commonalities when it came to Colorado and outdoors, rec, and, and just fishing like I do with Sarah's husband quite a bit. Um, but Jeremiah was really keen on outdoors rec and he had a degree in outdoor recreation and truly believed in its rejuvenating concepts, you know, not, not to get too, um, off, off sounding with like, you know, tree hugging and stuff like that. It's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking more of like conservation through outdoors and recreation, uh, exposing others to a, a skill that they could use to release. And, we worked closely with the Morale Recreation and Welfare Office, the MWR at Fort Carson, to do four-day weekends. And every NCO, non-commissioned officer, had a event that they would do. So we would take a group of – I would like I did outdoor um, mountain biking. So I put out there that I was doing mountain biking. Uh, we'd get funds, a, a non-tactical vehicle from the military to be able to drive around and transport the troops and all our stuff and then go out hiking – uh, mountain biking and camping over a four-day weekend. And as long as you did those things, you get four-day weekends every weekend after oh. we got back from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the only rule <laughs> was you can't drink and you can't, you know, obviously do drugs, but um, you had to abide by the rules of the military and make sure you didn't break any laws. So we did that. And there's guys that went out to Dragon Man's to go shooting 50 cows. And there's some guys that are really big into guns. That, Ironically enough, those guys are all now working jobs or started companies doing weapons and armory type work. Um, and then I have other guys that have, that did the cooking classes every weekend. And those guys would go out and visit different places to learn how to cook. And now they're chefs. So it really did work. And we got to see, and I think Jeremiah got to see that transformation and we actually had the lowest suicide rate of almost zero uh, out of our whole brigade because of that effort. Hmm. And I really did appreciate what he did. That's something that's a lot different in that Wounded Warrior, for example, has really embodied um, where they have an office, but no one goes there to hang out. It's just the employees of the nonprofit. And then they have charitable funds that they give out for us to be able to do these little pursuits. Or um, I got invited out to go do a, it was a racing course to drive Porsche 911 Carreras. And Ferraris and Lamborghinis, but it's on Veterans Day and I'm giving a speech, so I had to turn it down. But oh, those are the opportunities. It. Or going to Alaska and fishing for a 10-day all-expense-paid expi- all trip. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot. But that stigma is there for sure. Yeah. And it's hard to get away from. So let me ask a couple questions. When did you get out, Brian? Um, officially, it was like 2005 after so, my inactive reserve time. Okay, so that – and then – so you started in 2006 and you were out in 10 – or a 12, 12. The, and then my non-reserve time carried past that. But so, um, that's when, that's when I first met you was 2012, 2013, 13, 13. Yeah. when I started at CSU. Um, cause, uh, I was doing, and I'm not a veteran, but I was doing the, we honor veterans at hospice at San mm-hmm. Crystal hospice. And, uh, because end of life care is different for veterans than it is for, and their families. Um, than it is for um, civilians. And and part of that was um, they've already dealt with their own mortality at some point. And it was especially 
true of any combat veterans. Yeah. That, that was a very different That's, thing. And we were trying something. We were doing this honor and, and letting them finally at the end of their life sort of uh, have the conversations that they didn't have before with their families. They would not talk about it. And so it was a very, that's one of those cultural things that we saw. The observation that I had is that whatever veterans would do these little ceremonies and sort of um, we're honoring your service and basically giving them permission to finally have those, tell those stories and say the things that they wanted to say it really burned out a lot of our volunteers. So we would have veterans go with us to do these. And the, and like the hospice volunteers would make blankets and it was this whole thing. Um, and that cultural shift you guys have just talked about with that age difference and that cultural shift, um, do you think it's helping? Because there's still we're still deeply concerned about the suicide rate among. I would, I would yeah, I would say that we definitely um, have, well, to go on to the hospice thing, there's, when I was the Student Veterans of America and I was talking to faculty and staff um, about how to deal with vets um, that may have, um, they may lash out or get angry quickly or something like that, how to deal with that. And we worked with a psychologist that dealt with PTSD and tried to explain these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a perception of a, that veterans have of civilians that they don't understand what I'm going through or something like that. Not to quote every vet thinking that, I mean, they certainly don't, but many do. And there's not really a tolerance for uh, ignorance and not understanding military guys are very self-starters and, and gals, we all are. And that concept of being able just to figure it out with some 550 cord duct tape, and <laughs> and some chewing gum and figure out why the plane won't start. Like you mm-hmm. got to just do it, and they usually do. The mm-hmm. Marine Corps takes pride in just using what they got, which the isn't Army, much. Yeah, which isn't <laughs> right. much. The Army, the takes pride, <laughs> Army takes pride in getting uh, making use of what they got, and if they don't, they just turn it in and get a new one. So I mean, every military branch has its. <laughs> the Marine Corps is so disenfranchised. Yeah. You know? um, they, they were using Vietnam era M16s. In 2001 yeah. in Afghanistan. I was joking with oh them, like, hey, gosh. is that my dad? From <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's it, ridiculous. It, it's bad, but they've gotten better over the years. Their funding's better, but it all goes to the Navy because they're under yeah. the same department. So. But, the, but the Marines, they kind of like that, too, the embrace the suck. Like yep. That's their that, their unofficial motto. It's like, <laughs> and they'll usually never have anything bad to say when they look at your kid. They just yeah. get jealous. That, yeah. Yeah, I had one guy call us their big brothers. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's cute. Look what yeah. I just did with duct tape and bailing yeah. wire. Yeah. But that that uh, shift in that mentality is tough, and it takes a while to get acclimated. Yeah. I'm not the same person I was when you first met me, Sarah. Oh, uh, no. Ryan knows that. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm I'm painfully aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for yeah. a lot of stuff. Well, well the, the, like, Vietnam-era veterans, and even a little bit past that, it seems like their their way to deal with it was to bury it, right? Mm-hmm. It was not to talk about it. Very similar to World War II, guys. Yeah. And and just drink. And then the few times that you talk about it is when you go to the VFW or the Legion right. and have beers with your buddy right there, and that's it. And this generation, they they kind of realize like the the people in charge, whoever they are. It's like that was not the way to deal with those Vietnam veterans. And and there's other issues there too because you figure that was a draft, so. A lot of these guys didn't have a choice, right. and they went. 
And, and they weren't treated well by no, no, no. civilians at yeah. home. But, well, so of or course the military they're not members because yeah. they saw them as people that had to get drafted rather than volunteering right, for just, their service. Oh, yeah. and cannon fodder, basically, yeah. is what yeah. they were. Um, but, you know, now with this generation, you're, you're seeing this. And I know Fort Carson and, you know, all the, the bases around, they've tried multitudes, dozens of programs like, are we going to do a three-month transition before you're out? Are we going to do that after? Are we going to pay you to get a job? Are we going to do this? And they seem to be dialing it in a little better than what it has been in the past. Um, you know, a big thing at Fort Carson, and I, I won't mention his name, but somebody that kind of was part of this implementation was, you know, zero tolerance for DUIs, right? They, Fort Carson had yeah. too many DUIs. Mm. They had a, a blotter ticker as you drove, drove in yeah. the gate. We'd watch it roll over the new fiscal year, and it would be zero, zero for the first day. Yeah. And there was times I came in the gate the very first day of the fiscal year, there already be five. And like, so, oh so God. there was a, there was a policy implemented that if you get a DUI, they're just going to kick you out. Mm-hmm. You're done. And I, I don't even think it was an honorable discharge. It, less than honorable or general. Yeah. And, um, one of the people that were involved in making this decision or part of the commander came in at the end of it. He told me that that was the worst thing they ever did because they were punishing people that they weren't taking care of. And they weren't taking and of care course of these guys are going to come home and drink. You're like 23 years old. You just did like, you know, two years of your life in a war. What are you going to do the second you get home? Get hammered. Right. Well, like, you can't go home. You can't go see yeah, mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have that release. The guys you just were hanging out with for 15 months to a year are now off with their families right. or yeah. um, they're drinking in the room next to you and they're bored of you because you just spent all that time together. Yeah. yeah. And you can't get time off because you use it all up and you're in this endless cycle. And you ended um, you ended your military career at Fort Carson mm-hmm. and you did as well, right? No, I was out at Schriever. Oh, you're at Schriever. Okay. Yeah. So, Chair Force. So I'm I'm curious. I only went there like three times. <laughs> to be fair, I've only been on like two Air Force bases in my entire career. Was, I've been at Schriever three times. <laughs> You've been there probably more than I have. Um, so do you think... The reason I'm asking that is because there are so many bases here in Colorado, um, all the branches, all of that. So we're just really adjacent to a a very strong military, not just veteran, but a military um, community. Do you think these are the same kinds of conversations or the same things that are happening in other states? No. No. Okay. And and the reason why is – if you look at El Paso County, which has the highest veteran population, because everybody that goes to Colorado Springs, that's a retirement. That that's like mm. reenlist just to go there. Yeah, to make yeah, because it, it's like oh. it's Colorado's beautiful, and it's you know if you're in the military, you want to go to Colorado. It's like you want to go to Hawaii, Colorado. I don't know I don't Italy. Think, yeah, yeah, the, Italy, the overseas oh, yeah. Germany, but like for a, a stateside base. Fort Carson is it, Peterson, Shriver, the Air Force Academy. You know, that that's like the golden one. It's like I've done my time, my last, you know, enlistment or my last couple of years, I'm going to go to Springs and we're going to retire here. So Colorado Springs has this high veteran population, but they're all retired with 20 years. Yes. And the majority of them are officers because we have Space Command again is here. It's going to move. But it, so it's, it's a lot military. of officers that are very well off. They're getting a big check um, through their retirement. And then they go into other things. Pueblo and other communities with veterans and a lot of people go in the military in Pueblo, you do your four years and you come home. So you don't have that retirement check. 
You might um, get disability, um, you know, you get VA services and benefits, but Pueblo veterans and the rural veterans, they're people that did their four years, six years, eight years, whatever, and they come back and they don't have that safety net of this big retirement check. And also cost of living helps too. Yeah. Yeah. That the cost of living, oh, gotcha. but also, you know, when you retire, when you do 20 plus years, you're guaranteed a job right out of the bat. If you, yeah. if you did 20 years in the military, people are just trying to get you to work for them. If you did four years in the military, it's like, oh, maybe try college or, you know, go be a bartender for a while and then figure out your career. Cause you don't have that, yeah. that, that background to go into you know, industry and these higher up positions. So it's tough here. And they are having this conversation with retraining. Um, the state does a program that if you drove, say, like a semi-truck truck type vehicle, um, you can fast track your, um, what is it, your commercial license here. The CDL. Yeah, CDL. Yeah. So if you could prove that you, you know, on your training records shows, yeah, you drove these big MRAPs or trucks or whatever, then you don't have to go through all the coursework to get your CDL in the, the civilian world. Oh, gotcha. And, and even with police officers, they're now finally allowing like lateral transfer. So you can almost laterally transfer from a military police officer to the civilian police officer without having to go through the academy again. They'll do some like training courses and stuff versus starting from zero with everybody else when for yeah. eight years you've been a cop in the military. Well, and I, I think that's a problem a problematic thing as well, or that keeps coming up as a barrier. We got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we serve those who've served our country. Stick around. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to yeah. stop it. I'll no, no, no. I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're back. We're sitting here, of course, with Brian McCain and our good friend, Paul Hendrickson, both um, devoted veterans themselves, but they've done even more with, uh, with their um, after-service careers, and that is serving veterans who served um, the, our country. Um, and we wanted to do this for Veterans Day this, this year, and we wanted to have this conversation. Um, we're pre-recording this, of course, because um, both of these gentlemen have a lot of engagements. They're highly sought after on Veterans Day um, just because of that service to the veteran community that they have done. So let me ask you really quick along that vein, what do you think that we can do as, as a community um, to serve veterans? What needs to be done to actually serve veterans, even beyond the parades and the recognition yep. and all don't, of that? Don't confuse Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Yeah, That's really important to me. <laughs> that's always been a big thing for you. I'm yeah, going to talk a, about that today. Yeah, such a, yeah. Oh, such a pain in the, the tush. Um, it doesn't help that one of our Glorious senators back after World War One declared the Tomb of the Unknown to be on Veterans Day. Yeah. So the 100th oh. anniversary is this Veterans Day. So I'm actually kind of going at it with the other speakers about what they're going to speak about. And my very first one that I got asked to speak at was 2013 or 14, one of the years uh, that I, I started doing speeches. And I was, I, was and, that the one in the Legion? Where we yes. Had yep. move and there? I was yeah. there. Yeah. We was were there both too. there. Yep. Yeah. And that, that I had these just giants of men, these generals uh, speaking before me. And there, I remember this gentleman vividly sitting right in front of me. And I had this whole speech lined out that I had prepared the night before or something because I was super prepared. And he was crying on Veterans Day. And I was so baffled at this. Like, you were like, uh, uh, yeah. I, I was not happy. that <laughs> Like, this is the wrong 
reason. So I knew I but had to tell a story that was you funny. You handled it beautifully because <laughs> yeah. you got up there and you said what this is actually about is. Yes. And then you told the story about the guy that didn't clear his. About DFAC. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah oh, I DFAC. remember that. I'm sure he still hates me to this day. Oh, he does because he's now famous <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, D. Francesco is a good man. He yeah. Was. So yeah. if he's listening, I, I, my apologies for who I was then. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had to break that stigma. And so I would say if anything, that would be it. But one thing veterans don't want, thank you for our service. I figured the best thing I could possibly say to anybody is, you know, I did it for you. Yeah. And I truly did. I mean, as an you know, idealistic person, I truly believe that. And I wanted people just to not take their freedoms for granted in this twisted political hootenanny that happened over the past eight years, four years now, um, that we kind of went through this divide in our, our population. It hurts me because I don't care what you believe in, who you love and, and what your, what your political views are. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be hostile to one another. We should be a uniformed post nine 11. We're talking about the generational gap. The post nine 11 America was a cohesive group of people. Yeah. No one gave a hootenanny about what you believed in. They just wanted to fix the issue at hand, which was we were attacked. And a lot of people raised their hand to enlist and go overseas. But now we're at this divide where Afghanistan's ended. And now we have this clear division of American populace that's just tearing us apart. And that's not what veterans want. Well, and this really sad thing is what did it take to bring us together? Is that really what is going to something that traumatic that changes our entire world. Is that what's going to have to happen in order to bring everybody together again? Yeah. Keeping your memory longer than, you know, 30 days out so that you don't forget some of the, the asinine things that have happened in the past uh, politically here in the country shouldn't be what you stand on as your, as what your base of belief is. And it certainly shouldn't be a reason why you dislike your neighbor. So as a vet, I would say come together put aside your differences and get over it because at the end of the day, we all need to be standing side by side because when it does happen again, because it will, uh, whether it be a cyber attack or whether it be um, an attack physically on our nation, we have to come together. And if we're divided, we're just going to fall apart. And unfortunately um, we give the media a lot of crap for this on the show, but initially I thought that's what COVID would do. And they've turned it into even a yes. yeah. like another polarizing circus. I mean, it's and it's the government's fault. It's the media's fault. It's people's fault. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, I I was actually at a, a veterans event and I had another vet comment on me wearing a mask. And um, I said, hey, man, the way I look at it is I'm doing it to protect others. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's not about whether you feel funny with it or whatever. It's just about what's best because I don't know if I, I might get someone sick and the last thing I want to do is hurt another American. Right. Plus, they can't smell your bad breath. That's true. <laughs> I'm a heavy coffee drinker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you guys are doing it. This is both No Shave November and, and our listeners can't see you guys, but you guys are both sporting pretty sexy beards. I'm No Shave all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not now. just November. Yeah, I actually got my inspiration from Brian. But yeah, actually, both Brian's, both Brian's yeah. have, have these magnific- like magnificent beards. I, I got to shave mine on January 9th for a fundraiser that I was forced into for the the beard auction. Oh, you whatever. actually went through with that? Oh, I didn't have a choice. Oh, I turned it down. Told. No, I, I, 
I was like, I don't want to do that. And then my name was on it. And I'm like, I thought it was just to go like show it off. So I was no. going to sculpt it just right. But then I found out how to shave it. And so I just kind of fell out of the email it, chain. It's like, uh, so one person, I think if they have seven, it's one out of every seven has a chance not to have their beard touched, but they give you the option to do the mustache or the beard, not both. <laughs> Dude, so I was like, gonna do, I, was, I, was telling, <laughs> I was telling Jill, I was like, I'm just going to do the mustache. She's like, you'll look like an Amish dude. <laughs> it's like, for Christmas. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. For oh, Christmas. it's right after Christmas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm stuck doing that. <laughs> so Brian, how do we today serve our veterans? What um, do they need? You know, I, I think it's, um, so veterans have to learn to take care of veterans a little better. I think, you know, there's, there's this big argument, like, oh, were you this, were you that there's, it's like, there's pride in what you did, but get your ego out of the way a little bit. Um, suicide is, it's a problem. You know, you hear 22 a day, Colorado is even worse. So most people don't know that, but Colorado, the, the military community here, both active and veteran have higher suicide rates here in Colorado. Um, you know, one is just check up on people like veterans, check up on your buddies, send them a text, send them a call, DM them, you know, find them on Facebook to say, Hey, how's it going? Um, yeah. Mount Carmel has been really good with that because right now, if, if you are suicidal and a veteran, um, they have a, a number to call that puts you on hold. Mm. And then you talk to somebody in a call center. Now th- they have kind of decentralized that. And there has been legislation where it's going to be more community-based, more in the area. And then on the side of that, you have groups like Mount Carmel and some of these other projects starting where they're doing their own network of people. And we had Matt Albright on talking yeah. about that and going Beyond through Busman. some training. Yeah. The, yeah. Beyond Busman, yeah. 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 And, and, and that helps. And then, um, you know, from a civilian standpoint, it's like, yeah. Thank you for your service, but none of us like hearing that. Right. <laughs> it's just it's uncomfortable, right? It's like sometimes. when you get sung to on your birthday. It, it, mm. No, I would say like one of the best stories I have with the thank you for your service thing, I would say I would I would shop at the local supermarket on the north side of Pueblo here. And I would usually show up late because I worked late and there's a stigma where the last guy to leave was the most dedicated. I, I was the infantry thing, whatever. It was stupid. If I go back and do it again, I would have been the first one to leave, but, um, <laughs> older, wiser. Yeah. So I had this, uh, this gal kind of following me around inside the supermarket. I'm in my uniform okay. on uniform. Um, obviously my beret is not on cause I'm inside, but, uh, I was kind of commanding a presence and people knew, and there's not a lot of active duty guys back in 2008, 2009, here in Pueblo. So I was kind of the anomaly mm-hmm. and I'm walking through and I finally get to the checkout and I'm waiting this <clears throat> before they had the self checkout, which I love cause I don't have to talk to people. And I'm about to check out and this lady, I could hear her kind of just uh, like, she's about to say oh, something. She yeah. wants to she say, wants to say something. Yeah. So I turned around and I said, how you doing, ma'am? Just to acknowledge her yeah. because I knew that she, she had something she wanted to say. I, pr- I knew she wanted to say something to me about, yeah who I was, whatever. I didn't know if it was bad or good, but she looked innocent and cute and sweet. Right. She's, it, it'd be you in your, your older oh, years. Thank yeah. you. Adorable. <laughs> and she goes, thank you for your service. And <laughs> she stuttered it out. And, um, I looked at her, I held her, both her hands, both my hands. And I said, I did it for you, ma'am. And she lost it. Oh, sure. She, she lost did. It. Sure. And she did. So I hugged it out with her and, uh, turned out she had lost her son in Ugh. Iraq. So, um, it was really something that really meant a lot to her. And I felt like I needed to 
acknowledge you that. You did. You've, so yeah, you did good. Is it uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. Um, if it's like, actually, it's like almost being like a celebrity sometimes. Mm. It's just randomly. I don't wear a lot of identifying military stuff at all. Like, I have one hat that has a ranger tab on the back. Really subtle, unless you knew you were like a I think your tattoo. Yeah, my tattoos mean some stuff time. about it. Yeah. And I think just the build. A lot of mm. soldiers are built the same way. Well, you guys. They, you walk the same. You 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 carry yourselves. Yeah, usually the haircut will give it away. That's so why I grew mine out. That yeah. because Brian looks really attractive. There you so go. I to copy Brian's him again. Perfect, Brian's perfect yeah. Jeff Chostner hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that 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 stigma of um, I don't like hearing it. I think we say that out of being macho, but really we all like hearing it. Mm-hmm. So what would be better? Like what? Like you see somebody and you want to express your gratitude. What's a good way to do well, that? I, I walk up to vets and like, especially the older dudes, like the the crusty old like Korean War, war uh, era guys. Like, I love them because they're so cute. Oh yeah, and frail they're just and stuff. fantastic. I want to be like that, but I never wear the hats, right? But yeah. I always know they have it, so I always pay it forward. Yeah. So yep. if it's another vet, I'll buy them their dinner. Yep. Or oh, gotcha. I won't say who it was, or I'll tell them not to tell them who it was. But yeah. I'll usually walk by after I get done. And I'll have paid for theirs, and I won't say anything. I'll just shake their hand and go, thank you for your service, sir. And they won't know I'm even a soldier yeah. or was a soldier. They know. They might. Yeah, yeah they can but tell. Usually they're they're taken back by yeah. it, and yeah. they didn't expect it. So just paying it forward, yeah. I wouldn't even say, look, we're not entitled to it. We volunteered for this. It's not like we yeah. were drafted in. So I, because I know that bothers you. Yeah. So I sort of edited it. So especially when I see these older guys with the hats, I always just compliment their hat. Oh my gosh, I love your hat so mm-hmm. much. And then if they stop and they want to talk, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll start to ask them some questions. When did you serve? Where did you serve? I'll ask those kinds of questions, but I don't say to, I just show that I'm interested in them and I don't go, Oh, thank you for your service. Yeah. It feels weird to me now because of you. So what would be, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, I, I think the best thing to do. Um, and it's, it's a tough one for me because I've given like 15 years of my life kind of yeah. given back to this whole community. But, um, you know, it's just celebrate people's service. That That's yes. a big thing. It's Good. pay it forward. But you, you know what? And this sounds cheesy, but it's like show up to the Veterans Day Parade. Just do that. Um, you know, show up to the Memorial Day events. Um, celebrate service and those who served. And, and I think – Bob McLaughlin said that in his speech, he said, you know, we need, don't be ashamed of your service and don't be ashamed to celebrate your service. And everybody should celebrate that with you. Yeah. And I I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, yeah, you know, you had a tough job and you did some things and thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. It really was a sacrifice. I mean, in a way that our, our first responders and stuff like that get to go home many nine times out of 10 and, they can quit and go work any other job right there right. on the spot. I think what the big differentiator isn't that anyone's more heroic than the other. It is really the commitment you put forth. And when you sign that dotted line, you can't just be like, nah, I quit. Like the government would be like, okay, that's cool. Well, less than, less than honorable discharge and, um, or general discharge and good luck getting a job, winky. And that's it. <laughs> like you're, you're effed and yeah. you, you got to figure out what you're going to do with your And life. that's why there's homeless veterans. We can't understand why there's homeless veterans yes. or, or veterans who aren't seeking care or anything. And that's well, they don't the, think they're entitled to it. That, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's the other thing I should say. Like if you're a veteran out there listening, like you do have benefits and you did earn those benefits and you deserve them. Don't be ashamed of taking those benefits. It could be as simple as you're not taking it from anybody. Yeah. You're not it. taking it. Yeah. Um, because when you sign the dotted line, it says that on there that you will be entitled to, to 
these benefits. And it could be something as simple, you know, everything's so expensive now. A lot of these guys are on fixed incomes and girls and, and that's with everybody, but you know, go to the VA clinic, sign up for medical care. Maybe your prescription will be covered once a month. That's, yeah. you know, an Hearing extra aids. 20 bucks. Hearing aids, eyeglasses. Yeah. Um, Mount Carmel is going to have um, eyeglasses. You know, if you go to Mount Carmel now and you're a disabled veteran, you can get eyeglasses there. And they have some, they have like Oakley's and like the cool mm-hmm. stuff. They're going to be doing that in Pueblo as well. Cause the, one of the biggest complaints with the VA uh, and it's a minor complaint and there's a million other ones, but they wouldn't cover eyeglasses or you couldn't get eyeglasses because nobody would take VA insurance um, or oh, VA benefits yeah. because they're, they weren't paying so them out. Complicated. Yeah. yeah. So just, just that, you know, like take advantage of the things that you earned and deserve because you did sacrifice and your country's going to take care of you for that. They, the, your country appreciates it. The VA is broken. It's better. It's getting better, but it's there for a reason and use that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I ask both of you this all the time. So we're going to finish off this with that. Um, And the question that I, the only thing I ever really, really want from either of you is what good stories do you have for me? So I ask you guys that all the time. So um, in the spirit of veteran and honoring service and not Memorial day, but honoring service, a great story, Paul. So um, my good friend, Tommy, uh, Tommy Banks, uh, was a fellow sniper of mine, uh, when we were stationed with the calf and we're out in training and we're laying out in the middle of white sands missile range. So if anybody's ever seen it or ever heard of it before, it's probably where the nuclear bomb went off and things like that. And, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It, it's not, it's, it's actually just sand and it okay. sucks. Yeah. And okay. it's, it's terrible. It's miserable. The spiders. Oh, there's no, no, there's, that, that's not, that's not, that's, that's a different yeah. one. Okay. Okay. No, that's okay. the camel spider. That's Kuwait, but it looked okay. just like Kuwait. Okay. So yeah. yeah, you felt like you were being deployed without being deployed. So Tommy and I are out there and, uh, we're doing forward observation and, uh, Tommy and I went to basic training together and we followed each other all the way through the military, all the way to the four cars in the time that we got out. Like him and I have been inseparable and we're laying there and we're waiting for the tank uh, sections to come in and set up shop and start their gunnery. So we're calling in a 10, a 10, uh, bomb drops and stuff like that. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, well, <laughs> Tommy would like to pretend and we did this in Vietnam. We'd like pretend or our basic training, we'd pretend like we we're in Vietnam or like we'd always make up these scenarios to just have fun to break out the monotony or whatever. So we're laying there and we're behind this small berm and we're observing and the a 10s did their thing and went back. And so we're just talking and randomly Tommy eats everything. Okay. So like, it's getting a little awkward. Every time he'll, a cricket passes by, he'll like threaten <laughs> to eat it or whatever. So this lizard, like just blue belly lizard just kind of comes up and stations himself right in front of Tommy. And, uh, he threw his hand on top of it. He grabbed it. And I remember seeing its little head and I was like, Oh, are you going to eat that bro? And he goes, yeah. And, I was like, don't do it. So I turn around to grab my MRE and I turn back and I'm going to gag. He throws it in his mouth. The whole thing or he bit his head off? No, everything. Okay. Just yep. the whole thing. Yep. Okay. So okay. Tommy okay. did what he did. So that wasn't the only time Tommy did that. Just. Uh, yeah. When we were overseas in Iraq, he did something similar, but. Uh, Boredom is a horrible thing. It is. But also being a show off like Tommy. Well, you dared him. Uh, when no. you said. When you said, are you oh, going to eat that? He knew I wanted to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Knew. That was a dare. That, but that was a dare. He was, he was that cherished memory I've always have when I was, 
in the military, uh, in basic training, we try to find ways to get out of like details. Neither one of us are religious, uh, but we were devout Christians. In yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we would walk to the furthest Mormon temple. Oh, on good base, job. And, uh, and we would attend the Mormon church because uh, we knew that they would have snacks. <laughs> so, so I figured out, and it was Air Force basic training, but, um, you know, it was like, always go to church because you get out and they have snacks and all that. Yeah. I was the only guy that didn't go to church. And it was like three hours on Sunday where I just laid by myself and did whatever I wanted. You didn't so, have to do any details? No. Because they thought everybody was going to church. Oh, and the, the army would have come in lunch. I know. I know. Well, oh, they'd yeah. be like, oh, you're the only one here? Well, it turns out you got to do all the mopping for all 24 other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got out of that one. Um, so, uh, so I was wearing a halo hoodie. This is, this is a thank you for your service story, right? So I had a halo hoodie on, or no, it was mass effect. One of the, one of the games, the video game. Yeah. And, uh, I was standing in Walmart and this lady's like, thank you for your service. And I'm like, Oh, how'd you know? She's like, your hoodie. My son was in that unit too. Okay. Oh, that was Halo. Yeah. I, I was, it was like, well, thank you. Thank you. I Your son was Master Chief, man. Yeah. Like, Dude, that's awesome. Um, I, I think the, so we were in training and again, chair force, but I was in army training with a couple other air force guys and army guys. And there was like a Navy dude in there. And we were at a place called, it was either Camp Medina or Fort Medina in Texas. So it's the Army Ground Combat Skills. It's kind of like a, a course that if you're going to work with the Army, you go through and the Army teaches it type thing. And um, we had this this one kid <clears throat> in our training and his name was Kelsch. So it was like K-O-E-L-S-C-H, right? And he he was the typical clown, you know, yeah. like class clown of this. Everybody loves him, yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, hilarious. Like, I don't think if you were not there, it would be as funny, but being there, so hilarious. And, um, every instructor would say, uh, co mispronounce his name. And you'd be like, sir, it's Kelsch, you know? And, uh, so we get this female army, like Lieutenant Colonel, and she's a, um, Intel person. So she came in to talk to us how like, this is pre 9-11. So it's like, well, you know, the Russians work this way and like, you know, the jungle works this way. Kind of giving us an intel thing. And um, she started reading people's names out and she's like, uh, Airman Kelsch. And right there, and I saw it coming a mile away. He just raises his hand and he's like, it's Coelsch, ma'am. <laughs> and Tuesday is like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> like, Why is everybody laughing? <laughs> like, what a good man. Yeah. He would, he was, the, he had, um, and he was funny because he was like six foot five. And his best friend was this little army dude who was maybe five foot one. So they were like this real tall guy and this real short guy. Oh, and you know, you know how it is like when you're going to the field and they put you on the bus, so you have like a two hour ride. And you sleep, right? You leave yeah. at four in the morning. You just pass out. And then you, you get out, get all your gear, camo up, whatever. Those two would get on the bus and just get in all of their gear and camo up. And they would just be motivated the whole time because it was hilarious. Yeah. Like there was yeah. no other reason for it. They're but like, there was oh, no let's get up. Yeah. And they were up there. There's like, I can't wait to do that. Like going over like plans of attack or like, oh my what would he do? He would practice on range cards on the bus ride at like four in the morning with this red light flashlight. 
Uh, all for humor. I, I would have just all for humor. I would have loved to have been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A bunch did. of airmen trying to be infantry for a day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll eat you up. <laughs> oh, it was a little longer than a day. <laughs> but he he did a another one. We were um, his little buddies like, and of course they're southern. You know these these two are backwoods, and um, he comes out and we were doing something, and he has a like five fifty cord wrapped around with jaw bones on it. And we're looking at him, and he's like, oh, you see, now that's hardcore. I usually just take the air, but you take the jawbone. <laughs> <laughs> I had guys that were, like, over-the-top eccentric like that. Yeah, yeah, I I love it, and I miss it. And going back to your hospice thing about end of life, Yeah. one, I think, key takeaway there is there's been plenty of times that I've been telling stories with my veteran buddies that after they would leave, my wife would say, I never heard that story before. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, my son heard one the other day, and he's like, I've never heard that before. And there's there's a lot that we don't talk about, but there's there's something rewarding about finding another veteran. And I think a lot of our our uh, forefathers and, and Vietnam-era guys seek out that camaraderie right. through those venues like the American Legion posts and the, the alcohol that they serve at the bars and stuff. That's not the takeaway us young vets are going. We want right. to have more cohesive lifestyles not just days out with our friends yeah. that we could establish those bonds and that camaraderie that we, we want to see again. And I think, I think my final story will be, um, there's, I was at an airport. I think I might've been even at DIA or might've been LAX, but I was in uniform because I was coming back on R and R, uh, from Afghanistan to come back to Colorado to visit my, my then wife and my kid. And, uh, so I got to go to the John and I, I, I sit down and there's, I see similar colored boots right next to me. Well, in the military, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You could be a grunt or you could be a cook, but you're all friends at the end. Right. Um, and there's, you're notorious for using up all the TP in, other, in the military bathrooms. I okay. mean, guys, <laughs> uh, we have pre-combat uh, number twos that we go. I mean, we have sayings for it. I mean, there's, okay. it's funny. But so I'm sitting in the John and I run out of toilet paper and I'm at the airport. Right. And there's another guy sitting on the other side and I'm like, Hey man. And both the feet shuffled. You can see they're visibly, they shuffled. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knocked on the civilian side. I was like, Hey man, you got some TP. I threw my hand underneath the door, underneath (laughs) the the side of the divider. Right. Right. That dude just got up and left. Like he (laughs) freaked him out. Yeah. Freaked out. Probably didn't even finish what he was doing. He was just out of there. And so the other guy, I look over and he's got his hand underneath with a roll of toilet paper in the other hand. He's like, I got you, brother. <laughs> That's awesome. We don't even know who each other are. Like yeah. we just got up and left. But we knew that we were both in the military and that's all that mattered is that we were there for one another. So yeah. whether it be toilet paper or camaraderie, pay it forward with other vets by just listening to their stories. So what the theme I've heard over and over again from both of you is the way that we serve vets is to allow them to, to be with other vets and to support each other. That's the thing that needs to happen. And so maybe for those of you who are listening, who are trying to understand, you've got a vet in your family and you're trying to understand that when they want to spend that time and they don't want to talk to you about it, don't take that personally. Just understand that they're doing the best that they can. And it's not necessarily um, about you or that there's anything wrong with your relationship, but it's really about, they need that. They need to have this, the brother in the next stall hand them a, mm-hmm. and that, sometimes that's all that they need for and a fix. Don't, yeah. And don't elevate. Um, if it, it seems to get like 
that fire in their eye and they seem like they're kind of drifting a little further than what the planned conversation was supposed to be, be subtle and take a walk, break them away from what the position that they're in. Then if it's an emotional thing that they're discussing, ask them if they want feedback or if they just want to open ear. Yeah. And if it seems to be beyond it, try to get them in the right direction. If they're operation Iraq or, um, or Afghan enduring freedom vet, OEF, OEF, um, global war on terror, get them with wounded warrior project, mm-hmm. um, get them yeah. with the VFW, get them with the American Legion, provide them with that outreach because they have people that are uh, crisis um, mitigators and they are people that can be that open ear and they can even help bring those vets to where they can get the resources that they can get that additional help. Absolutely. And if they, if they will not get help, tell them that they're not any less of a soldier or a man or yeah. a woman for doing it. it yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. The VA is there. Absolutely. Brian, uh-huh. last thought. I, that, that about uses up all of our time. I, again, I would just say, you know, celebrate service for yourself and others. And if you didn't serve, still celebrate that celebrate service. The service. Yeah. Ask for yeah. a story. So yep. on that, um, he's not, I'm going to give a shout out to, he's not a veteran yet, but he is my favorite um, active serviceman. Um, Lieutenant and my favorite HMFIC, um, Lieutenant Colonel George O'Neill. Um, happy future Veterans Day to you. So thanks everybody for joining us. Join us next week. We'll have lots of more great conversations about everything that's going on in Southern Colorado and how you can be involved. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.